0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. You may remember way back a couple months ago we started a a sermon series uh, on the Great Commission, and uh, this is number two in that series, Matthew chapter 28, where we find the Great Commission, our Lord's commission to us. His church and every member within his church. Just to remind you of a little bit of context of the, the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, of course, is one of four Gospels that we find uh, in the Scriptures in the New Testament. Um, and each gospel writer has a different purpose in writing their gospel. And so what they tell us is, is of course, historical, but there are there are reasons that they're choosing to put specific things in their particular Gospels. And in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the things that you'll see is you will see that Matthew is going to great lengths in order to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of the things that had been promised in the Old Testament, that He is indeed the coming Messiah that had been promised for years and years and years and years. And He'll quote Scripture and show how Jesus fulfills that Scripture. And you may remember last time in our uh, in our uh, first... Um, uh, sermon on the Great Commission, we looked at that first part of the Great Commission, where the Lord talks about how He has been given authority, He has received all authority in heaven and on earth, and we saw how that that connected to Daniel chapter seven, the Son of Man, in whom Daniel prophesied would receive this universal authority over the nations, and eventually the nations would come to worship him and Today, we're going to continue uh, in the Great Commission, and um, I will read for us starting in verse uh, 16 of Matthew chapter 28, and uh, this is our Lord, He has lived the perfect sinless life, He has died for His people as the Lamb of God, He has risen from the dead, and He has not yet ascended into heaven at this point, but He will not, not too soon after. Um, days after this great commission that he gives his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so thankful today that you have been so gracious to us to give us your word and Lord, I uh, admit that I am so insufficient for such a task today, feeling weakness, feeling insufficiency, but yet Lord, trusting in a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that I might ask or think or any of us might ask or think. And so today, leaning on that promise that you will do mighty work in your people that your word would be preached with power, that it would be heard with the power of your spirit, and that, Lord, that, again, we would be transformed and changed into the image of your Son, and if there any be any here that are, that are, that are unconverted, as I prayed earlier, that, Lord, you would use this in order to draw them to the only one who can save them. And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Well, the atmosphere in the room was tense. A young Baptist pastor full of zeal for the Great Commission was pleading with the other pastors in the room. He passionately made his case for the need to form a missionary society to launch missions into the world. One pastor in the room shouted back at the young, enthusiastic pastor. He said, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Oh, I bet that pastor would have kept his mouth shut. Because eventually this young zealous pastor succeeded. On May 30th, 1792, he preached a message titled Expect Great Things From God and Attempt Great Things. God. And by the grace of God, that sermon and that zealous young pastor launched what we know as modern missions. That young pastor was none other than William Carey. And he was sent out, uh, William Carey was sent out as a missionary from Britain uh, and went to establish the Sarampore Mission near Calcutta, India, and labored there for 41 years spreading the gospel and making disciples. Why don't you just think about this? How many people have been impacted by this one zealous man for the Great Commission? Well, just in his lifetime, he and his team over in India saw roughly about 700 disciples made in, in Southeast Asia. 700 people converted and built up in, in the faith. But think about the countless, the countless disciples that have been made throughout the world from the foundation that he laid for modern missions, all by the grace of God working through him. Christian, let me ask you this question this morning. Is your heart zealous for the Great Commission, or is it cold? Do you see the Great Commission as as your primary mission in this life, or has something else taken its place? For most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we, our zeal for the Great Commission is, is, is more like a fading ember, and we need God to do something with that fading ember. We need God to blow on that ember and make it into a blazing fire. May He do that today through His Word. May He make a zealous people for His mission, the Great Commission. As we look into Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 today, what I want you to take away today is this, the main point. Christian, don't waste another moment of your life living on the sidelines of the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations. Today, what I want you to see as we look into verse 19, I want you to see three components that make up your lifelong mission if you are a Christian and my lifelong mission and ours as a church, specifically. First, we'll look at the call to purpose-filled action. Next, we'll see the explicit assignment. And lastly, we'll see the global scope. So first, what's, let's observe the, the, the call to purpose-filled action. In verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then in verse 19, he continues, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore. When Jesus says, therefore, he's connecting us to what he had just said about his his authority. On the basis of, of his sovereign and exhaustive authority over heaven and earth, he is telling us to go. And you may remember in the first sermon in this series of the Great Commission, we saw that that Christ's authority is not only the the basis for the Great Commission, that is to say that He has all authority, He tells us to go, therefore we go. He's the basis of it. His authority overrules and, and, and causes us to go. He's the reason. But it's not only just the basis for the Great Commission, His authority is also the fuel for the Great Commission you remember that we saw that, that Christ's authority is fuel for courage. Knowing that, that, that you will never be in a situation as you're going out to make disciples that He is not in complete and total control of. And we also saw that His authority is fuel for not just, not just courage, but also hope. Hope when we, knowing that the darkest and lostest person that you encounter as you're going out making the disciples is not beyond His saving power. A car needs fuel to go. Christian, you and I, we need fuel to go. And that fuel is found in a genuine trust in the supreme authority of Jesus Christ over every circumstance that you will face and over every person that you will encounter. But here in verse 19, Jesus commands us to go. What does that mean? What does it mean to go? Well, this word go is is a participle. And some claim that it should be, translated as, uh, as, should be translated as as you are going instead of go as you are going. As if Jesus is saying, as you are going throughout the normal course in life, make disciples along the way. Now the question is, is, is that what Jesus meant? Is that what he meant? Well, if it is, Peter and James and John, who were actually there when Jesus gave that great commission they must have had some major wax build up in their ears, because if Jesus meant for them to make disciples along the way of their normal course of life, you know what they should have done? They should have gone back fishing for fish instead of devoting their lives to fishing for men. If that's what Jesus meant, Paul got it wrong. If that's what Jesus meant, Martin Luther got it wrong. Jonathan Edwards got it wrong. William Carey got it wrong. Adoniram Judson, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon. The list goes on and on. They all got it wrong. Because they all devoted their lives to going and making disciples. It was not a secondary enterprise. It was their lifelong passion and pursuit. But praise God they didn't get it wrong. Because this particular sentence structure in Greek... It makes this participle, go, have the force of an imperative, have the force of a command. And so it's rightly translated, go, go. What does that mean? Well, go means to move from from one place to another. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to move from, from the place that we are to the place that he has called us to go. Now, in this case, the place is not a particular location, but a particular vocation, Go make disciples. And we'll look at that in just a moment, what what make disciples means. But what I want you to see here is is that there's not just a going just to go. There's not just a going to go without purpose. There's a going to do something specific. There's a purpose behind it. There's an intentionality. There's a determination. You know what it looks like to see somebody going with purpose. We see it all the time. It's the student who, who's devoting herself to, to acing biology and chemistry, staying up all hours of the night studying. Why? So that she can get into med school and become a doctor. She's going with purpose. It's the guy you see at the gym who works out three hours a day and, eat, and drinks incredible amounts of protein shakes. Right? What is he doing? He's, he, he's going because he wants to to enter a bodybuilding competition and hopefully win it. He's a guy who's going with purpose. Now, when we witness somebody like this, we say things like, huh, that's a man on a mission, or that's a woman on a mission. What do we mean by that? We mean that, that it is clear by that person's actions, by what they are doing, by how that they are living, they are dedicated to accomplishing something. And they won't stop until they do or they'll die trying. That's a man or a woman on a mission, Christian. When Jesus said, go, it was a call to purpose-filled action, to make disciples specifically, to be a man on a mission or a woman on a mission or a teenager on a mission. Let me ask you a convicting question this morning. Would anyone ever accuse you of being a man or a woman or a teenager on a mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Would anyone ever observe your life and say, well, he or she has has a lot going on. They've got work, they've got kids, they've got school, they've got X, Y, Z. But there is one common thread that I see running through all of that, and that is as they are bent on making disciples for Jesus Christ. See, the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, for most of us, no one would ever say that about us. Why? Why? Because making disciples is not a primary purpose in our lives. We may not believe that Matthew 28:19 should be translated as, "As you are going through the normal course of your life, make disciples along the way, as if it's a secondary enterprise." But we sure do live that way sometimes, don't we? Oh, today, that today would be a day that the Lord would awaken us from our slumbers. Oh, that today would be a day that the Lord would would cause a drip to fall from heaven and poison every idolatrous weed in our hearts that has grown to replace our Savior's mission. Oh, that today would be the day that we would leave this service and actually read that sign that hangs over the door on the way out and say, yes, that is my purpose for living, is to make disciples. I'm going into the mission field to make disciples, to genuinely own it as our primary purpose. Christian, don't waste another moment of your life on the sidelines of the Great Commission. Go, go, go with purpose-filled action. And so we've seen this this call to to purpose-filled action as Jesus says, go. Now I want you to see the explicit assignment. What are we to go to do? Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. I want you to think about a large banquet table, and at the center of that banquet table is the main course, it's the main dish, and surrounding that main dish, there is, there is things like salt and pepper and make perhaps some, some gravy, but those items are there, the salt and pepper and gravy, those items are there simply to complement the main dish, right? Nobody says, hey, you want me to get some meat to sprinkle on your pepper, Right? They say, no, let me get some pepper to sprinkle on, the, sprinkle on the meat because that's the main dish. And so when we look at, at verse 19 and specifically just this, this, what Jesus is calling us to do in the Great Commission in the first part of verse 20, make disciples is like the main course. And everything else is there to complement it. The going is there to complement the, the, the making disciples and the baptizing and teaching, which is what we'll see next week or next time we, we, we preach this sermon. It's, that's there to complement the main course, which is to make disciples. So what does it mean? What does it mean to make disciples? Well, a disciple is a follower or a learner. In this context, a disciple, a disciple is one who follows the teaching of Jesus, who figuratively speaking sits at the feet of Jesus like Martha's sister Mary did and actually listens and learns from His Word, but not just learns from it, actually lives by it. So to make disciples means to to teach and train people to live in obedience to the Word of God. Isn't that what we see Jesus modeling for us all throughout the Gospels? We see Him this this life-on-life teaching and modeling and training. We see Jesus doing this in big groups like the, the Sermon on the Mount, small groups like... Uh, with his 12 disciples, one-on-one with like the woman at the well. And we're going to tease this out a little bit more next time, but Jesus makes it clear in the rest of verse 19 and verse 20 that making disciples includes two necessary ingredients. First, evangelism for the unconverted. That is, sharing the gospel with the lost. And the second is training for the converted. That is, teaching and teaching them uh, to observe all that Christ has commanded. So there's two elements this evangelism and this training and teaching uh, how, to, how to live in accordance with the Word of God. That's what it means to make a disciple. That's the explicit assignment to make disciples. The explicit assignment is, is not to feed the poor. The explicit assignment is not to be a social justice warrior. The explicit assignment is not to make America great again. The explicit assignment is not to build back better. The explicit assignment is not to fight for your freedoms. It's not to protect the Constitution. The explicit assignment is not to accumulate wealth, even if you think you're going to give some of it to the church. The explicit assignment is not to earn a sports scholarship, kids. It's not to earn an academic scholarship. It's not to go to college. It's not to retire and fish and golf and travel the world. No. The explicit assignment is to make disciples. That's the main course. That's the primary mission. That's the primary purpose. And so though some of these things I mentioned, we should do, right? We should feed the poor as an example. We should do them we must be very, very careful that they don't become the main, main course in our lives, that they don't become the primary, our primary mission in this world. Because I'm afraid for many of us, other things have taken the place of Christ's mission. Making disciples of Christ is so far down the priority list in our hearts that it rarely happens. And we need to cry out to God in genuine repentance, and ask him for something that he would be delighted to answer, which is to ignite a fire in us for his mission to make disciples and to make everything else subservient to that. Preacher, I hear you. But I can't quit my job. I have to put food on the table. Preacher, I hear you, but I'm, I'm a caretaker and I'm already overwhelmed with, with all of that. Preacher, I hear you, but I'm bedridden and I, can, I can't even hardly leave the house except to go to the doctor's office. Welcome to your mission field. Welcome to your mission field that the Lord has assigned to you. Oh, Christian, do not think that the work... Your work is impeding you from carrying out the explicit assignment to make disciples. The Lord has established an outpost of the kingdom of God in your workplace, and it's you. It's you. Caretaker, bedridden brother or sister, the Lord has established an outpost in your station in life, and guess who it is? It's you. It's you. Oh, that we might be so convinced that the Lord has strategically placed us wherever we are in this season of life to carry out his mission to make disciples. Sometimes we limit ourselves, don't we? We look at our life situation, we think, oh, I just can't do this because I'm I'm trapped in, in this or that. Listen, the Apostle Paul was never convinced of that. When he was imprisoned for the gospel, listen to what he says to the church in Philippi. He's in chains, right? He's in prison. He says this in chapter one of Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me being imprisoned has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. How did they know that? Because Christ is telling them, he's sharing Christ, he's discipling people. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul, in his his confined situation, his boldness stirred up boldness in others that were outside of him. It was contagious, his disciple-making. You see, the chains bound his body, but it didn't bind his mission to make disciples. The prison was just another mission field assigned to him by Christ. Christian, wherever you are at in this season of life, it's the mission field that Christ has assigned to you to go make disciples. Don't squander it. Don't squander it. Don't squander your workplace. Don't squander your home. Don't squander the doctor's office if that's the only place that you can go. Don't squander the mission field of your school or your neighborhood or your grocery store or your Facebook account. Don't squander any area of your life because Christ has assigned you with an explicit mission to make disciples. Don't waste another moment of your life on the sidelines of the Great Commission. Go make disciples disciples. And so we've seen this call to purpose-filled action, which is go. We've seen the explicit assignment, which is to make disciples. And now I want you to see the global scope again in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the scope. This word nations has been the subject of, of much debate and much picking apart through the years. It is safe to say that when you think of the word nations, it's not what this word means. You and I, when we think of nations, we think of modern-day nation states like the United States or Canada. And modern-day nation states were not, didn't come into existence until probably the 17th or the 18th century. And so that's obviously not what this particular word means, but it's, it is smaller than that. It's smaller than modern-day nation states. It's it's this this nations in a nutshell. It simply refers to to people groups all over the globe, people groups all over the globe. The word all in all nations means that there isn't a people group that is excluded. We are to go and make disciples of all people groups, Jew and Gentile, reached and unreached, Muslim and Hindu, rich and poor. Near and far, the scope of the Great Commission is global. Why? Because the mission of God is global. Don't we see that? Our Bibles are full of it. Don't we see that all the way, for instance, back in Genesis 12, that that God makes a promise to Abraham? And one of those promises that he makes to Abraham, he he says that through one of his descendants, all the families of the earth all the people groups, all the nations, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through that one seed, that one that would come from Abraham. And then that descendant, he comes, Abraham's descendant, who would bring blessing to all the families of the earth, people from every family of the earth, people from every people group, he would bring blessing to. He comes and he secures that blessing for his people through his life, death, and resurrection. But by the time he he ascends into heaven, the nations haven't received the blessing that he secured. Right? They haven't received the forgiveness of sins that he secured. They haven't received the perfect righteousness that he earned. They haven't received the reconciliation with God. They haven't received eternal life yet. They haven't received the blessing, the fullness of the blessing promised to Abraham yet. But yet before he ascends into heaven, Jesus gives us a very significant mission to his church. He says, go to the nations. Go to all the families of the earth. Herald the good news of what I have done and watch me bless a people from the nations by drawing them to myself. Watch me fulfill the promise made to Abraham by working through weak and insufficient people like you, church. Now, we read our Bibles and we we love stories in the Old Testament of God doing mighty things, impossible things. But I wonder if we believe them about ourselves. Let me give you some examples. Hasn't God been doing this over and over again throughout history, using weak and insufficient people And doing mighty things through them. Using people, inadequate people, to accomplish impossible things, humanly speaking. And by the way, it is impossible, humanly speaking, for us to accomplish the Great Commission, isn't it? It's impossible. But yet God calls us to do it. So remember, remember when God called a man by the name of Moses to the seemingly impossible task of, of delivering Israel out of enslavement to the most powerful, wicked monarch in the world, Pharaoh. You remember what Moses' response was when God called him to go and do that? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Translation, you got the wrong guy. I'm so insufficient for such an enormous task like that, God. In fact, Moses says that I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech. Don't you see all of my all of my limitations, God? You remember what God said to him? He said, "Yeah, but I will be with you." Ironically, Jesus says the same thing at the end of the Great Commission. "I will be with you." And God, you know that you know what happens that God The rest of the historical account, you could see it in Exodus, that God used inadequate Moses to rescue Israel out of the clutches of this one. Moses would never have been able to do that, right? You see, Moses didn't need to be adequate. He just needed to trust God and do what he said. And God himself would do the heavy lifting like we saw him do through the ten plagues. Remember when God called Israel to the impossible task of of conquering Jericho with its impenetrable walls and God gave them this plan that they were to march around the the, the city uh, for seven days and on the seventh day they were to march around seven times and and then they were to, to blow trumpets and they were to shout. And you know the historical account of what happened to that, don't you? That the walls of Jericho fell like a pine tree to the ground just like God had said that they would. You see, Israel didn't need to be adequate. They weren't. They just needed to trust God and do what He said, and God would do the heavy lifting. Church, Christ is not calling us to be adequate to make disciples of the nations. He's just calling us to trust Him and do what He said. And God Himself, Christ Himself, He'll do the heavy lifting. Jesus said this, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said that to his original disciples and it still applies to you and me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, do what I say, let down the fishing nets of the gospel and I'm going to make you catch people from my blessed kingdom I'm going to fill the nets from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth because I have a people from all the nations that I have secured blessing for, the blessing promised to Abraham. And I'm going to get them through weak and insufficient people like you, church. Not because you're adequate, but because I am. Because I am. I want you to check out this video that we've seen before. I want you to see what Christ has been doing through His weak and inadequate church, listening to Him and making disciples, what He's been doing through us for, for almost 2,000 years. Check this out. So the red is the Roman Empire. The white is, is Christianity spreading, and you can see up on the top left, it goes through time. We're at 280 A.D. You see Christ from his throne and authority in heaven, how he is, he is causing the, the gospel to spread. Fish are coming into the net <laughs> through weak and insufficient people like you and me. He's going to get the nations. And he's going to go get them through us. See, the scope of the global Great Commission is global because the mission of God is global. And so we've seen this call to purposeful action go. This explicit assignment, make disciples. And this global scope, all nations Christian, don't waste another moment of your life on the sidelines of the Great Commission. Go make disciples of the nations. So, what do we do with a message like this? In the short time that we have left, I just want to challenge you with three points of application. Three points of application, and then we'll be done. First, point of application own your mission. Own your mission. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, engaging in the mission of making disciples is not optional. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your identity. It's what Christ has given to you. The great missionary Hudson Taylor famously said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. He's right. The Great Commission is not... Just the responsibility of us as the church corporately, it is certainly that. It is primarily that. But guess what? You're a part of the church if you are a Christian, if you are one of Christ's disciples. And we are to come together and we are to go out in this great commission. This is the mission that we must own both corporately and individually. Because the moment that each of us trusted in Christ, he handed you your orders for deployment on his mission. Don't crumple them up and throw them away. Don't hide them underneath the stack of other missions that you want to accomplish in life. No, it needs to go on the top. Let me ask you, Christian, are you owning the mission? Are you owning it? Maybe you're here today and you need to do a little heart examination. Maybe there are, there are idols that need to be uprooted in your heart. Maybe your zeal runs hot for lesser things, things that aren't that important, leaving little, if anything, left for Christ's mission. Oh, these things, they ought not be. Christ's mission is worthy of you and I having the same zeal for it as William Carey had. It's worthy of that, especially when you think about the lengths that your Savior would go on His mission to save you. See, He went on the mission first. He's still on mission, but He went on the hardest part of the mission. (laughs) Let me remind you of it. When God the Father told His Son, God the Son, to go almost 2,000 years ago, He went. (laughs) He left the comforts of heaven to embark on a mission that would literally save you from the torments of hell forever. As drops of blood dripped from his punctured hands on the cross, the torrent of God's wrath gushed into his soul like Niagara Falls. What was it like on his mission for him to experience the wrath reserved for your sins? We can only speak in terms that God has has given to us. It was like being tossed into a lake of fire and experiencing the unthinkable agony of the burn from the flames that never ends. It was like being cast into outer darkness, separated from everything that even hints at the light of the countenance of God. No grace, no mercy, just unconstrained and unmitigated wrath pouring down on Him. In the most real sense of the word, Jesus was experiencing hell for you. Hell in your place. And before he breathed his last, he could cry out, it is finished. That the debt for your sins had been paid and the sins of all of his people that he came to die for had been paid in full. And on the third day, you know, Jesus, just as Jesus had foretold and that the scriptures had foretold, He rose from the dead. God the Father had provided an undeniable sign that it's all true. Conquering your death, opening up your eternal life. Listen, if Jesus would go to such lengths out of love for the Father and love for you and me, how can you and I sit still? How can we not go and make disciples out of love for Him? If the love of Christ in the gospel, if it doesn't move you, then there is reason to believe that the saving grace of God has not moved in you. And you should go home today if that is you and you should get on your knees and you should cry out to God to save you. You should cry out to God that He would penetrate your hard heart. You should cry out to God that He would He would grant you repentance and faith. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you already know that you're not a Christian. You came in knowing that. You just heard the gospel. And you've heard of the unfathomable links that, that Jesus would go to save his people. How do you know if you can be one of those people? How do you know? Well, Jesus commands something of you, He commands you to repent and believe in Him, to trust in Him, to turn from your sin and to trust in Him alone for your, for your salvation, and you will know at that point that you are one of those people that he, that he died for. How will you know that? Because He's the one who will have granted you repentance and faith. See, the instant that you do that, you turn from sin, and you genuinely trust in Him and Him alone. The instant you do that, every sin, past, present, and future, is wiped off of your record because Jesus paid for it. And He will take off your filthy, sin-stained clothes off of your soul. <laughs> and He will replace them with His perfect righteous robe as if you had never sinned before. As if you had lived the perfect, sinless life like Jesus lived. As, you have, as if you had lived where you never even broke God's law in thought and word and deed for the entirety of your life. And then He'll hand you your orders for deployment. And He'll say, Go. Just like somebody has come to you, you go, you go and you tell the world about me and you make disciples of the nations. See, whether you're a brand new baby Christian today, just born again today, or you've been walking with the Lord 70 years, own your mission. You don't get to choose. This is what Christ has given you. And by the way, it's what your heart longs for. Own it. Second, point of application, take an appropriate step. See, we're all at different places in our Christian maturity. For some of us, making disciples, this idea that I have the responsibility to make disciples, that's foreign to you. For others, it's like second nature. And the point here is just to take an appropriate step based on where you're at. Take an appropriate step based on where you're at. Listen, if you're new to making disciples, start by being discipled by a more mature Christian. You can go through, for instance, uh, Fundamentals of the Faith is a great study to go through with with a mature Christian. You'll learn the fundamentals of the faith. You'll learn things that you never would have even dreamed of that God has taught us in His Word. And then not only will it grow you as a Christian, as a disciple, it will also help you to see what it looks like to engage in making disciples. That person will be modeling for you, Ah, oh, this is what it looks like to make a disciple. Now I want you to think about, again, think about the various spheres that the Lord has placed you in in your life. Do you have a family? Here's an idea. Set aside 10 or 15 minutes after dinner to pray and to read through The Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's simply like we went over earlier at the beginning of the service. It's questions and answers based on what the Bible teaches. I will promise you all you got to do is read. Read the question and read the answer and then read the scriptures that go with it. And guess what you'll be doing? You'll be engaging in the mission of making disciples, even if you don't know anything about the Bible. Do you live in a neighborhood? Plan a once a month movie night. And all you have to do is be able to play a DVD. Show movies like the American, American Gospel or Spirit and Truth, which is a study that we did way back uh, last year, I believe it was. See, those are great ways to be able to get the word out there and you don't have to be the most mature Christian. You don't have to be this grand disciple maker. You can start there. Do you have a workplace? Let out the gospel nets and see what the Lord will do right? In your workplace. Invite, uh, for instance, your coworkers to church. That's not the end of disciple making, but it's better than doing nothing, right? Give a coworker one of the gospel booklets on the table over there, right? Like this one, are you born again? Hand them there and say, hey, look, I'd love for you to check this out tonight when you go home. And hey, I'd love to find, talk to you tomorrow and tell me what you thought about it. See, that's an easy way to, to just start making disciples, getting into the habit of making disciples. How about this? Do you ever go out to eat? Right? You ever go out to eat? Let let out the gospel nets in that restaurant and see what the Lord will do. One of the easiest ways to do that is ask your waitress or your waiter, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? I can't tell you how many gospel conversations have been opened up by that one simple question. Right? And then when you leave, get a gospel tracked off of that table and leave it on the table with a nice tip. Don't skimp out on the tip. You'll be engaging in the mission. Listen, even if you came to faith today and don't know anything about the Bible, you can do every single one of these things that I just mentioned. Every one of them. And as weak and as insignificant as they may seem to you, Christ delights in your obedience. And so don't be surprised if maybe when you lift up the net, there might be some fish in it. He might have done the work of his promise that, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, if you're not new to making disciples, some of these things might not be appropriate for you. It might not be an appropriate step for you to take. It might be time for you to maybe step up to the plate and and be more bold in your witness. It might be a time for you to step up and be more intentional and bold in your workplace and discipling. It might be a time for you to take that next step, which is, hey, maybe I need to get with a group of guys or a group of women in the church and and we need to go out and we need to go out in the public in Swansboro and Hubert and... We need to start talking to people about Jesus. That's a step that we need to be taking. We need to be moving as a church, each and every one of us, towards towards maturity in this. Wherever you are, take an appropriate step because Christ, he's worth it. He's worth it. Don't stay where you're at. Take that step and do it today. Third point of application, pursue the nations. See, there are two ditches to avoid when it comes to the Great Commission. The first ditch is, is being so nations-focused that we neglect uh, making disciples where we live. And the second ditch is, is just as bad. It's, it's being so focused on make, making disciples where we live that we neglect the nations. See, the scope of the Great Commission is global. Therefore, if we as a church are going to be faithful to the Great Commission, faithful to our Lord, we must seek to make disciples not only here but around the world. When William Carey was planning to, to leave for India, he told his good friend Andrew Fuller, very famous, famous thing. You'll hear, see these quotes from, from uh, Carey. He says, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. What did he mean by that? Well, it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to pursue the nations as a church. Some of us are called to go down into the pit. What does that mean? That means that we're called to go to the foreign lands. We're called to go to the nations to engage in making disciples. And that could be for a couple weeks. It could be for a couple years. It could be for a couple of decades. It could be for an entire lifetime. But the rest of us who aren't called to go are called to stay here and to hold the rope. That is to support those who go. Right to support them financially and, and through physical resources and physical needs that they have and, and certainly spiritually through fervent prayer for them. See, we can see this modeled really easily in, in Scripture, in the book of Acts and, and the New Testament as well. Antioch, you remember sending out Paul and his missionary team? And then eventually the church in Philippi comes, comes alongside and starts to support Paul financially as well as some other churches. Right, That's the model. Church, I want say this, and I will say this as as one who is a part of this church, we need to grow in this respect. We need to grow in this respect. We need a more global perspective. We need more ropes all over the world that we're holding. We're supporting people who have gone. And one of the things that we need to be doing and that you can start doing today is we need to be praying that the Lord would raise up people in our midst from our membership to go to the nations. Maybe you're listening today and the Lord has been stirring in your heart for some time about just the possibility of maybe maybe you could be one who, who could go to the nations to make disciples. Listen, if that's you, please don't keep that to yourself. <laughs> tell somebody, and especially tell us as the elders of the church, Let us us walk beside you in that discernment process. Let us be praying with you and for you. and, And if it is determined that that is the Lord's will, let us help you to get the training that you need. Lastly, when it comes to this idea of pursuing the nations, let's think of, church, I want us to get our creative juices thinking about creative ways that we can disciple the nations right where we're at. And so I want to I give you a, an, an example. This is just one example to try to get the creative juices flowing. So back in the 19, 1986, I believe it was, the Chernobyl nuclear plant, plant, plant had a reactor that exploded and, and a lot of the radiation fallout from that, from that disaster, it, it ended up settling in the country of Belarus, which is a country that's been on, on the news a lot lately. And it settled in the soil and it got into the water and it got into their food supply. And it's impacted and affected a lot, of, a lot of health issues have come as a result of that. Well, there are organizations in America that they will uh, have partners over in Belarus that will, uh, they get uh, kids from Belarus, all different ages from, let's say, seven years old all the way up to 18. And they will have families in America through this organization, these organizations will support kids over in Belarus, and they get to come over during the summer. And guess what they get to do? They get to stay with the families by themselves, without their parents, for six weeks. Now, during that six weeks, the organizations will tell you, we want you to take them to the doctor, eye doctor, the medical doctor. But guess where they need to go? To the spiritual doctor a great way for us to, to be able to pursue the nations. Can you imagine if we had five or six families from this church that, that raised up support to grab one of these children to come over and live with us in our homes for six weeks during the summer? With us every night as we do family worship. With us as, as we are discipling our kids. With us as we come to, to church on the Lord's Day. With us as we do 915 classes. With us. And being discipled and getting material in their own language and and being able to send that back with them. See, that's just one creative way to make disciples of the nations right where we're at. And there's plenty more. So I want to encourage you, church, to start thinking globally. We want to be a church that's pursuing the nations because Christ has given us a global scope to go there. Well, as we conclude this morning, our Lord has been so gracious to us to remind us of his global mission, to remind us of our global mission, to remind us of our primary purpose of why we are still here. And I can't think of a more appropriate way to end a sermon like this than with the words of the great missionary Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China. Here's what he says. Many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little that they attempt. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and His presence with them. O church, May we be a people who, in the words of William Carey in his famous sermon, may we be a people who expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Don't waste another moment of your life on the sidelines of the Great Commission. Go make disciples of the nations. It's our purpose. Let's pray. Christ, we're in awe that that you would call us to be a part of such a plan for you to bless the people from the nations. Lord, even as we watched that video a little bit earlier and we saw what you'd been doing since you ascended into heaven and what you've been doing through your church, going in our weakness and going in our in our insufficiencies and and spreading your word in any way that we can, how you have been drawing a people from all the families of the earth to yourself. Lord, would you be so pleased to give us the zeal that you gave William Carey for the Great Commission. I pray, Lord, if there be any in here whom you are, you are tugging at their heart to, to go to the, to the nations, to maybe a specific foreign land that, that, Lord, that you would give them courage to take a step to tell someone. I ask, Lord, that even today, as, as the church meets, we know that even the gospel nets are going out today in the proclamation of your word and your gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would put, put fish in there. I ask, Lord, that you, we would leave here a changed people, a people who really truly do own our primary purpose. A people who who, Lord, take an appropriate step today or this week. I pray that you we would be a people who pursue the nations, that you would truly give us a global perspective. That Lord, the creative juices would start flowing today, and that Lord, it would be said of us, each and every one of us in Grace Church that Wow, that is a man on a mission. That is a woman on a mission. That is a a teenager on a mission. That is a church on a mission to make disciples of the nations. Yes, they're busy. Yes, they have work. Yes, they have school. Yes, they have various other things. But man, that runs through every single thread of their lives. Lord, make us those people. And we know it's your will to do so. Because you've called us to go make disciples. Of the nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we are going to sing.